Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Here we are, Rush Station, a day later than usual, but I promised you this would be worth the wait. We've got an absolutely unbelievable guest. Um, I guess for this season, he's a frenemy. Um, but after that, he will be uh, a, a surefire friend. Uh, no, it's always taken uh, with positivity. And before I introduce him, as always, I've just got to do the business in terms of uh, thanking our sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. They are the champions of the world in that regard, and they offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped have just launched, as I keep telling you, the Lawnmower 4.0 across Europe. It's absolutely brilliant. As I keep saying, I've got mine. It is it honestly couldn't do without it. And it is bar none the best money can buy. And with the code 5YARD, you can get 20% off and worldwide free shipping at manscaped.com. That's just with the code 5YARD. Enough about that. Let's bring on today's guest. As I mentioned, he is a bit of a frenemy. We are against each other in the Scottish Bowl this year. And uh, I guess he's playing for second in that division, in the Who division, which is the best division of all. Um, but he is a fantasy football analyst for Yahoo Fantasy. Since 2007, 
He's also won multiple awards for accuracy amongst football and baseball, and he is, more importantly, president of the FWS, or FSWA. I knew I was going to mess that one up. Andy Behrens, <laughs> thank you for jumping across the pond and joining me on Five Yard Rush. How are you, sir? Of course, of course. I'm great. Um, thank you for having me. It's it's fun to finally do this. We are talking about it a little bit. Um, I feel like, you know, Scott Fishbowl is such a large, sprawling league that it's very difficult to develop any individual rivalries, right? You're, yeah, you're essentially going up against, I don't know, a thousand plus people. It's hard. It's low 19, probability. It's just, yeah, 19, it's just really fun. 1920 people this year. So bigger than ever. And you're right. But I think what I love about it, I, I, I say it in jest, I don't really mean it, because it is about the friendships and the people that you get to to meet and speak to. And I know our division was very lively in the chat. A few of us jumped yes. on um, and had uh, a good chat uh, when the draft was going on. I thought it was a really good draft. It, it went at a nice pace. It wasn't too rushed. It wasn't slow. I didn't feel there was anybody timing. I don't think there was a timeout, as far as I can recall. I felt like everyone was I pretty active. I have now gone, I want to say I've gone back to back now in Scott Fishbowl's taking no time for any of my picks, <laughs> um, which which is not like strategically necessarily the best thing to do, right? But it always, you know, I, I, I just feel it's the most considerate thing I can possibly do. Uh, like maybe I should I should give myself four hours for every choice just to see if any injury information breaks in the middle of the damn summer. But I just I just never do it. And then I get hung up on the idea of preserving the the perfect um zero second draft right so like I've, I've done that two years in a row it's it's the only thing i'll ever win in fishbowl so i'm i'm proud of that <laughs> you say that your team's pretty loaded this year i do you know what i thought it was very a very good draft and there wasn't a lot of value to be had i think there was a lot of very very smart people in our division um, Michael Golden was in there and obviously his daughters are quite infamous in the community. Um, I had his daughter last year, Hope, who, uh, was 12, didn't even have a Twitter account because of her <laughs> age. And there's us in the chat for the first uh, half a draft. Um, we didn't know her age or who she was. And we're like, God, Hope's taking forever. Like what's going on? All my picks were on auto pick because I was picking through the night. Didn't make a live pick. Um, and yeah, we were sitting there going like, oh, there's always one that just doesn't turn up. And then we find out, oh, well, she's 12. That's why she's never took <laughs> Well, th this year, especially with the um, with the naming of the divisions after um, bands, some some of which are terrible and some of which are among the, the greatest that have ever existed. It's kind of self-selecting, right? Like we were mm. always going to have a really difficult division because we all chose the who right so yeah. we all have taste we're all we're all knowledgeable to a to a certain greater extent than most of the people participating in this thing so <laughs> yeah of course it's a buzzsaw yeah absolutely but like, i thought it was a great draft a lot of a lot of great people we we'll get on to that in in a second uh let's talk a little bit about about you for folks maybe across the pond here who um you know don't don't know so much about how you started you know 2007 was the start of the international games here in the uk so for those that were watching the games or not watching the games before then, um, how did you get to Yahoo? How did you get into football, talking about fantasy football and, and doing this for, for a living? How did, how did you get your start? Yeah, I mean, I've been, obviously I've been a football fan. I don't remember my life without being a football fan, right? It's just from the, from the time I was super young. Um, I started playing fantasy in the, in the early 90s at, uh, I'm frighteningly old. 
um, started playing fantasy in the in the early 90s, shortly after college, like, you know, first job situation. And I became particularly uh, obsessed with it because I want to I want to say that for the first four years of my main league, I all and it was a workplace league and we were all kind of competitive in the workplace anyway. And then there was fantasy layered on top of that. Right. And I I would make it to the to the championship of of that league reliably I, each of the first four years. And I lost in spectacular fashion and sometimes super improbable fashion in each of those championships. And it just made me absolutely, totally obsessive where I was gonna, I, like, I just needed to master the game, right? <laughs> I just needed to get over that. And I, I think that if, I'd, that if I'd just won that first league, um, I, I think I probably would have decided, okay, I'm great at this. I don't need to, <laughs> I have nothing left to prove here, right? Yeah, yeah, but but I got really into it, and then eventually I left that job and I started um, freelance writing about sports. And this is like, you know, to 1999, 2000, 2001 ish era. The internet is sort of just a thing, and it's mm. it's you know it's 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 only then allowing opportunities for people like me who didn't necessarily have connections uh, in uh, you know in, in journalism really to to find a, a space to to write and so I was able to you know early on I caught on and I I, I did some uh, I was writing for page three and page two at ESPN for a little while just doing like freelance things on the sort of mainstream sports side and fantasy was just another way to write about sports right so that's that's kind of how I got into it I was already I was already playing it I wanted to sort of proselytize on behalf of fantasy because it was like anybody, you know, at, at the time it was kind of niche, right? It was like a, mm. you were you were a fantasy geek, you were you were like this little um, you know forgotten corner of the of the sports world if you were into fantasy, and then of course that that flipped over time because everybody who plays it immediately recognizes that oh this is super instructive this is making me a much more knowledgeable fan and you know whereas i maybe i just used to be some meathead you know chicago bears fan yelling at the tv now i know things about the other team now i know about offensive schemes that are being run around the league you know i know i know i know who's coaching um this week's opponent so it just it makes you such a, a a knowledgeable fan that once you once you sort of dip a toe in you nobody ever quits right like you might you might say okay i have to pare down the leagues from like eight to four or something like that but nobody ever just says that's it i can't handle fantasy football because it just makes you you know it just makes you a, a better fan in every possible way so um you know i was i was doing early on i was writing some some fantasy for espn and then uh brad evans and brandon funston interviewed me at a pizza place in chicago in 2007 and uh no it was probably 2006 and then hired me in 2007 and uh there i've been ever since amazing i i think i think you said it all there for for fans in the uk because it is about that knowledgeable i say to people all the time i speak to people so frequently here in the uk who are just picking up the game or have been watching it for the last year or two or they've been taken to a game by a friend over here and we're so lucky that we get games here in, in the uk that there is that opportunity to always take someone who's never been to get them involved mm -hmm. and they people ask me like how do you how do i get more involved it's like fantasy is the way to do it you know you could watch a million games but you don't know what you're looking for with fantasy at least you'll always have a reason to want to delve in more because you'll have a vested interest i.e., your team and 
you'll know what to look for. It's just, it, it's like yeah. you said, I, and if we get the same with people who come to me all the time. How do you pick your, your team? I mean, I was lucky. I lived in the US. I lived near Tampa. I was in Orlando. It was like they're more the Jaguars. And it was like it was always going to be Tampa. They were the team that was always on. So it kind of made sense. But I say to people, just pick a team based on your fantasy players. Like pick the yeah. fan, whoever you're supporting for on Sunday, that could be your team. And if you draft loads of Bengals, be a Bengals fan. If you're drafting loads of Bears, be a Bears fan. Oh, I don't know why you'd be drafting loads of Bears, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't really know either. <laughs> I'm I kidding. can't hey, defend that. I, I'm one of the few that is like a real David Montgomery trufer. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I have to go... In fact, I went on the Fantasy Pros podcast about 10 or so days ago and talked about why David Montgomery is a league winner this year. <laughs> because I just feel like you've got to, like someone's got to be out there because he does reliably accumulate points. Um, and especially with the schedule and the best schedule coming in fantasy football is really, really good. Um, and especially yeah, David Montgomery, Montgomery is actually not that you want to get sidetracked on this, but he's the no. rare case of um, the fantasy community sort of generally um, showing some restraint right like what like we we're all sort of writing the piece at the end of last season you know going into this summer about how hey w- watch out there could be a trap with david montgomery because he was you know he thrived against this incredibly easy late season schedule they had maybe he's not going to have the same set of circumstances this year and we've we've not made him like an end of round what like i feel like 10 years ago coming off of last year um he perhaps he would have been selected at the end of round one early round two and it's just not happening we're, we're showing a little bit of restraint people understand the the few negatives there and they appreciate the player and like he's he's one of the most appropriately priced players in the draft pool and i didn't think we'd be here no yeah but i'm also one of those i i get to the point where you're you've the first 12 13 running backs are off the board He's still there. I'm thinking he's an easy ad for me at that yeah. point. Like it's just like I get to that point. I'm, I'm now I'm there. I'm happy. I think I took him in a draft this week in the middle of the second because it just felt that I looked at where I was drafting, where I was going to be next, and thought he's not going to make it. And I really want that anchor of having him because, especially as my second running back off the board, I'm more than happy to have him there because he's going to return that investment. But yeah, you mentioned side chat. We'll get back on to Dave Montgomery and others uh, a bit. Um, um, in terms of for you, obviously, you've been on this amazing uh, career path and journey, and you've been with, with Yahoo Fantasy for, for so long, and, and, and also president of the FSWA, which is something – it's just incredible. I'm part of the organization. It's, it's just amazing that you, you do that. How do you balance both roles? How do you balance doing what you do full-time with Yahoo and then being the president of the FSWA? Um, well, most of the work uh, involved in FSWA, and I, like you're a member, so you know, we 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 don't exactly have deep pockets, right? We're not we're not like some cash rich organization. You basically pay you, you you pay dues one time and never again, and um, so we're not you know we're 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 design on a dime sort of uh, 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 almost everything for almost everything we do. But, but most of the work of it is uh, toward the end of the NFL season, which is really unfortunate because it like, you know, <laughs> October hits and then we have to ramp up the, the awards process behind the scenes, which is really a, a phenomenal volunteer effort on, on behalf of a small number of people. But that's, that's really most of the work. So um, there's, there's not a whole lot that I have to do other than, you know, some, some behind the scenes administrative stuff that goes on through the summer. But then 
we get into, you know, it's again, it's unfortunate, like the money weeks in fantasy leagues, I'm, I'm, you know, neck deep in the awards process and, and trying to answer questions for people. And it's, you know, it's been really gratifying just in the time that I've, that I've been associated with the FSWA, the number of people that are now nominating um, for awards has, has spiked to a crazy level. And the, you know, the whole, the whole thing started years ago, um, like 2005 ish, um, basically because fantasy writing at, at that moment was, you know, and think of the people that were doing it then it's, you know, it was, it was Matt Berry, it's Bob Harris, it's Chris Harris. It's like some people who are like real Titans in the, in the business. That was some of the, the best, sports writing that was out there on the NFL, right? And it just wasn't getting recognized because fantasy was still viewed as this sort of niche thing. Um, but it was it was really quality stuff. So the organization um, started as a way to spotlight all that good work that was that was out there. And now it's just mushroomed into this, like the, the number of things that we can't recognize that are incredible each year are just, it's mind blowing. You wish you, wish you could have a I don't know. We, we we expand the award categories every few years, and um, we'll we'll be looking to add more, you know, in the in the next couple of years because it's just so hard to recognize all the great work that goes on in the industry. Yeah, and it is it is phenomenal, and I always make a point to read everything that gets shortlisted and nominated, and it's just unbelievable because some of these articles are just ones that you would never know were out there, and I think that's what. I appreciate more than anything as a member and, and someone who, who has access to be able to read that content and, and get smarter off the back of it as well. I, and another thing I'll say about the FSWA's process in just in support, and this is a process that I basically inherited. Um, so I, I claim no credit for it, but that, you know, what, one thing you'll notice are the finalists for all of our awards are a, a total mix of major platforms mm. and people that you're learning about for the first time, right? Like they're, they're people who've, who've started their own sites within 18 months who become finalists for the awards and they might be in a category with Brad Evans or they might be in a category with, you know, JJ Zacharias and they're, you know, like you're, yeah. you're in there with like heavy hitters in the industry. It is a truly blind judging process behind the scenes. Nobody's like, you know, rubber stamping the ESPN submissions or the CBS submissions or Yahoo or whatever, and just advancing them to the fight. Like none of that is happening. We, we, the whole pain of the process is in uh, erasing site names and individual names and things like that, and making sure that we have a group of judges who are not considering the, the sources. Yeah, and it, it, it does show. Um, my good friend Brian Drake, he was nominated for one last year with his amazing piece about being a dad and a fantasy writer, which I just loved, and it resonated so much, especially as I was a new dad at the time. And yeah, that, that's why I love it. It's, it's things like that. I mean, I've read that piece before it was submitted, but it was great to see, you know, him get that recognition. And just a final thing before we move on to a little bit of SFB 11 talk, because we have to talk a little bit more about <laughs> it. Um, what advice would you give to people listening here right now? I like to ask this question to anybody who is, you know, successful as you are in terms of wanting to follow that passion. And it could be about sports or model trains or just anything, you know, what advice would you give to, to anybody wanting to get started and, and, and follow their passion? Well, what, one of the really fortunate things about the, um, and one of the best things about the fantasy community on, on pretty much every social platform mm -hmm. is that especially like the, the younger people who are, who are fairly new to the industry, um, it's a super supportive community. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and when you know obviously when i broke into it um social media barely a thing and the internet barely a thing when i started you know freelance sports writing and all that so there's there's so few barriers to to entry now and to inserting yourself into the into the community of of fantasy analysts sort of at large right and and there's so few barriers to actually creating content if you want to if you want to dedicate the time to doing it whether it's you know podcast video whatnot um yeah, i mean you, you just throw yourself into it and as long as you're you know i feel like as long as you have an entertaining voice you have something interesting to say and you relate well to other members in the in the community um you're going to find people who will amplify your voice and and you'll get noticed and i i'm just you know i'm just thinking about the the people that we've that we've hired and we've sort of brought in as freelancers to the Yahoo team over the last couple of years. Like mm. they just, at some point just, you know, I'm thinking about like Troy King at some point, Troy mm. just decided, you know, I've got this, I've got this real job that pays bills and I'm, I'm really into football and I'm really into fantasy football. And I'm going to write about this and I'm going to, I'm going to see how far I can take it. And, you know, within, a year i i don't know like i i was i was only vaguely aware of troy like um a little over 12 months ago and now he's one of my like he's just one of my favorite online friends and he's and he's been doing a bunch of stuff for yahoo and he's got a piece today and it's just not that yeah not to say that it's not that difficult to to break in but there's so there's so few impediments if you're if you're highly motivated to do it yeah i, I think that's so true because it's, it's as you say 20 years ago this didn't exist right we were still going to barnes and noble i was to read magazines yeah. about fantasy football because the online space wasn't there and now any anyone can pick up you know i speak to people all the time and go how do you start a podcast it's easy you buy a headset you buy a microphone cost you yeah. 40 50 pounds <laughs> um i'll tell you where you can get free editing software where you can load your podcast for free where it will push to all the places you don't have to spend a lot of money to get started and then you just talk and you know I, it's such an easy barrier as you say just to do it and you know what the hardest thing is is putting yourself out there that's the hardest thing yeah. is but i always say to people the first 10 15 20 episodes are awful <laughs> like you'll never want to listen to them again because they're that bad but that's fine that's the process <laughs> as long as you take away from it and you continue to grow and learn and and speak to people it's that's the biggest thing but you know what even if you never make a dime as long as you're enjoying doing it like I, that's all that matters it, it, it is funny how much the job has changed because when i was hired at yahoo in 2007 like my job was four columns a week like you're, you're just going to write four columns a week and then very quickly it was like oh we have advertisers who are interested in video and we've got to figure out a way to like <laughs> produce produce video and I, there's something i'd never done or ever contemplated doing i just thought i was going to be like you know a voice behind the scenes that nobody ever had to see and now it's just so, like you have to you have to achieve a certain proficiency on radio, on pod, on video, like it's just, it's just become every possible uh, medium, which is fun, which is fun. But again, as you say, there's, it's not, you know, there are costs involved, but it's not like you need to put together an investor group to start a podcast or anything like that. The equipment is relatively affordable and there's, it's just, it, it is a thing that you can dive into and you happen to be diving into a community that is, that is very mm. supportive of, of, you know, its own. Yeah. There are literally thousands of people on, on Twitter that will, follow support uh, you can dm for advice like i couldn't mm -hmm. agree with that more they're just an amazing bunch of people who 
are so supportive and friendly. Yes, there's always the occasional thing that people fall out over, and I think that's true of any family. But I, you know, I think yeah, you couldn't ask for a better community to want to break into than the fantasy community because of the fact that do you know what? Even if let's say your dream ambition is to be what you're doing, Andy, and to take your job one day when you, you know you decide you don't want it anymore. Um, it's going to be hard enough, but if you make friends, like for me, this is just about meeting people. It's just meeting people, sharing experiences. Your life is going to be so much more full as a result yeah. of all the people that you can just talk to about the obsession and the sickness that we have that's fantasy football. It's, I know that I can go and have a conversation tonight with 100 people if I want to, or 100 different people, yep. and have a great night. You don't need to spend any money. You don't need to go anywhere. You can just have a great night delving into your obsession and passion, which is, I think, is, if you can do that, you're always going to be successful no matter what happens. Um, a little bit on SFB 11. So we mentioned we're in the same division, tough division. I, I have to ask you this question because I've got you here. I want to know your thinking on the kicker, kicker turn. Um, because, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you went kicker, kicker. Was it the 14th and 15th? turn i think that sounds right that sounds right that I, sort of it was 14 15 yeah I'm sure it was that sort of range where you were picking because you're picking out of the one spot so um i i need to understand this this thinking as to why you went kicker kicker in the scott fishbowl was it just to jump into the change of format or was it just there was a strategic element behind it yeah first of all i i want to lean into the format and and support it fully because i like i had you know it had gone from being a joke on twitter to something that i was semi-serious about like i like the idea of kickers in flex spots i like it a lot um and i love i, I will also say that i love the scoring that scott has set up which is which is super tricky um because if you'll notice um, and you probably did this in in prep for the draft. Like the the top kickers in in this scoring format, and it's it's hugely driven by um, length of field goal, right? Like you know, there's big penalties for misses, but it's hugely driven by length of field goal. Um, and obviously, if you're drafting kickers, like it's not. People like to say it's random, but it is entirely not random. I mean, you want to chase the highest scoring offenses, and there are a handful of kickers that that are more accurate from distance than others. So there are kickers that we can identify. They're going to be good in this format. But the great thing that Scott did is he created um, a scoring system where, man, these guys sync up so well with many of the extremely high variance, like wide receivers that you would that you would otherwise be plugging into a flex spot, right? So if you look at you know how uh, my two kickers are, are like Young Wei Ku and, and Justin Tucker, and if you look at how they would have scored last year, it's just perfectly in sync with like the Will Fullers and the Marquise Browns and these guys, where you know they're going to have two or three blow up weeks, and you know they're going to have you know ten weeks of like three catches for thirty five yards that don't help you at all, and so it just it forces this tricky decision of you know do you want to take what I perceive as a pretty steady nine to 12 points for my, for my kickers, or do I want to, do I want to chase these high upside guys, most of whom um, fall flat on their face. Right. So, uh, so I, I dove into the kickers with, with what I considered the two best or two of the best in this, in this format. I had no idea when people would first take them either. And I was, I was nice. seeing different, wildly different results from different leagues, right. Based on usually if, if there was a big kicker enthusiast in, in some leagues, somebody would, would have less discipline than I did. Like, I felt like I waited pretty long yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd already gotten a, a handful of pe people that I felt pretty strongly about. So 
I actually think I've seen the argument out there that you should just you should have just ignored kicker entirely and just take big swings all the time. Get your you know get your guys, and then eventually, if you need to, you can drop them for for lesser kickers. Um, I went with kickers who I think are going to be steady right out of the gates, who are going to be really good, um, and then I can figure out which of those high upside guys that I, you know, cause I still have like, a, you know, guys that are, that are, uh, that I seem to have all over the place. Deami Brown, I, I think is on my roster and fishbowl. There's just a handful of guys that I think might pop. Um, and if the, but, but now I don't have to play them in week one, right? Like now I can, now I can just wait and see, cause I know I've got Justin Tucker, who's going to give me, I don't know, 10, 12 points in the, in the opening weeks. And I feel pretty, I feel pretty confident about that. And if I, if I happen to hit on any flyers, um, then fine, I can start them over a young Waku or something like that. But I just I like having sort of a, a money in the bank uh, kicker in, in one of those flex spots. And I just again, I just adore that Scott added it as a flex. <laughs> I'm with you. And I, I did something similar. I went later than you did, but I got Blankenship and Sanders for exactly that reason. Mm-hmm. And when yeah, you can take big swings, but actually I like to have a degree with injuries, for example, last year, my roster got decimated with injuries. Kickers don't really get injured. You get the odd one, right. but you know what? You can plug one in. It's like, yeah, okay, I might get 10 points this week, eight points, nine points out of my kicker. But I know that come when all my injuries are settling in and coming in, I've got someone I can just plug in and rely on. And I did the same as you. I took two kickers. I went later but and probably didn't get the same upside and high return, but... I'm quite happy with with Blankenship and Sanders for that reason. I know I've got guys who, you know, when everything goes Pete Tong and this guy's on IR and I'm struggling about who to pick up and there's no one on the wave wire because by week seven, there really isn't anyone on the wave wire. Yep. Um, you've got guys you can just plug in and they can get you through. And I, I think they're going to be crucial end of the regular season in the Scott Fish Bowl playoffs i think they're going to play a factor because... I'm, I'm super anxious to see what the like the final <laughs> rosters look like and whether they've got kickers on them or not i feel like they're going to um i do or, or maybe it's going to be you know maybe it's all going to narrow down to a handful of teams that just hit on all the you know lottery tickets right and, mm. and they have no use for kickers because there's going to be like I don't know, four rosters left that just nailed everything because um, there's so damn many teams in this thing. Uh, but I, just, I can't I can't wait to see what the, what the final roster is like. Do you have any regrets from your team? I mean, you know, everybody should have certain regrets, I suppose, um, because we drafted it so early. But, you know, when I think when I think about what might have what might have befallen my teams and what has befallen a couple of my teams, right? Like I dodged the JK Dobbins thing and I dodged ETN and I dodged, you know, Cam Akers in this league. So I can't, you know, I, I haven't had anybody that I took early, um, you know, suffer injuries that are going to compromise their season. So when that's the case, I don't, I feel like I shouldn't express any regrets here. Right. Cause I haven't, nothing's happened yet that act, that absolutely torpedoes my season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're getting into week one now. It's two days away. I cannot wait. You know, um, I'm still in that quandary of do I stay up Thursday night football to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? <laughs> because it's one thirty in the morning, Andy. I've got a very, very important day on Friday with lots of my day job calls scheduled very early morning. So I am in wrestling because I'm a massive Tampa Bay fan. I'm sitting there thinking, it's not often we get to open the season. It's the Cowboys on the flip side of that. 
it is one yeah. thirty in the morning. It's gonna go on to nil five. So do I game part? I don't know. I, I'm still working that one out, but it is only two days away. So as you mentioned, it's been a lot of injuries. Uh, cut week I thought was particularly brutal this this season compared to other seasons. So with there being so much flux with just a week or two to go, I thought let's let's talk about some players, situations that are going on right now, and let's help the listeners try and make some sense of these guys who they might have picked up off waiver wires, who they might have drafted as backup guys and then now league guys, um, and help them sort of get some clarity as to where their roster is right now. So picked a handful of guys. Let's start with Gus Edwards, because you mentioned J.K. Dobbins. Gus Edwards is now clearly the guy there um, with Tyson Williams behind him, and then we don't know who the third is going to be. I guess it could be Lev Bell if they sign him or uh, Holyfield if he gets the job. We don't know who's – they're working out some guys – because Justice Hill looks like he's out for the season now. And it means there's a lot of workload for for Gus Edwards, who's not used to being in this sort of role. So what can our listeners expect from Gus Edwards coming into this season? And where would you project him to, to go based on what you're expecting from a volume perspective for the season? Yeah, I, I think Gus is actually pretty easy. Um, we know the Ravens love him. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love him. They, uh, you know, even last year when J.K. Dobbins was breaking out, they were they were still running Gus onto the field because uh, he's he's a good player, good back. He's, you know, obviously not the ceiling that Dobbins has necessarily, but um, makes nothing but good decisions for that team. Um, so he he pretty clearly slots into the into the J.K. Dobbins role. I think I one thing I think people need to know is that um, I. You know, I, I felt like before the Dobbins injury, I, I would often hear analysts toss out some workload projections for J.K. Dobbins that were just never going to happen. Um, like I and not I'm not calling anybody out or anything like that. But, I, uh-huh. you know, I'd hear people suggest, oh, yeah, Dobbins, he's, he's going to get 15 to 20 touches a game, 18 touches a game, something like that. Here's when he was blowing up last season, when he was when he was absolutely erupting and really helping you down the stretch. December football, here's how many carries he was getting. 11, 13, 14, 11, 13. Um, he's, it was, it's a great rushing offense, right? And you've got Lamar Jackson yeah. to worry about, and um, he's scoring in every game. But he, he's, he's not catching the ball. They're not going to throw to Gus just as they weren't throwing to Dobbins. I don't buy any of the noise about, oh, yeah, we're going to – like every team is always talking about how they're going to throw it to their talented running backs more. And, you know, they've, they've, not, they've not done it. They don't do it with Lamar. And to Lamar's credit, why should he? Um, what, like, if it comes down to it in a scramble situation, Lamar should just run. He's the best runner in the league, you know? So I don't, I don't expect them to look to Gus Edwards any more than they ever have in the passing game. So it's going to be like a dozen or 14 carries a game. Um, and that's fine in this offense uh, because it is a super efficient, um, incredibly productive run game. But you should not be forecasting, you know, 20 touches a game for Gus Edwards. It's just simply not going to happen. It was never going to happen for J.K. Dobbins. Um, they they like Tyson Williams, and he had a phenomenal preseason. And his like some of his preseason highlights are the best preseason highlights. Like it was, <laughs> it was really really good. So he's going to play too, and I think he slots into the the former Gus Edwards role. We know that team wants to run a committee because they've done it. You know, when Mark Ingram was blowing up, it was still a committee. When you know Dobbins was blowing up last year, it was still a committee. Like that's what they want to run. So we have to assume that they're going to continue to do the thing that they've been successful with. So as long as you're not projecting, you know, as long as you're, 
as long as you're drafting and, and sort of um, imagining Gus Edwards to be uh, uh, something like Damian Harris, right? As long as you've taken him in that range and those are your expectations and you're not thinking that he's going to catch 30 passes and you're not thinking that he's going to touch the ball 18 times a game. I think you're good. Um, and I think you need to look at him as an RB2 or a flex. He's been, this is, I, I'm I'm almost filibustering on Gus, um, but I, I think he's a really interesting player. He's been over the last week, every day, um, I like to go into Yahoo leagues and there's this little transaction uh, trends tag that you can that you can hit and you can look at who the most traded players are. He's always the most traded player. Um, and I, I think that's re- it's been going on for like a week, um, and and I think that's really interesting because it's you know pe- people had injuries and they're looking for anybody they think they can acquire on the cheap, and that it means that we also have other managers who are saying, wow, maybe the time to cash out on Gus is now, um, and I that might be smart, you know, because um, if there's anybody in your league who thinks that Gus Edwards is suddenly a full workload, you know, twenty five touch a game back, you should you should probably trade him to that team. Yeah. Absolutely. As you say, J.K. Dobbins was never going to get that role. And people that it's interesting because everyone thinks that now there are even people out there that think that, well, J.K. Dobbins wasn't going to get that much workload because Gus Edwards was behind him. But now Gus Edwards is there and Justice Hill has gone down. It's like, oh, it's Gus Edwards season because no, they like Tyson Williams. As you say, Tyson Williams won the backup job before Justice Hill was ruled out for the season like he won that job he won it outright they love him he is going to get work i can see i can see a path to getting williams getting eight to ten touches a game on some weeks because that's going to happen that is going to be a thing the same way that edwards was getting eight to ten touches a week some weeks because that's just how the ravens roll they don't ever give all their workload to one guy and i think you're right i think yeah if you're expecting him to be somewhere in that 15 to 20 rb range i think you're fine i think if you're expecting him to be an rb1 you're probably going to be yeah. disappointed and if you've paid up for him like like some people have <laughs> good luck i mean it, listen it, the way i look at it is if he plays 17 games you'll probably make whatever you traded away unless you did something really stupid but <laughs> you, it's that's a big ask. Um, he's, if, if he's going to finish the season as an RB one, it's going to have to be an incredible touchdown season. Like he's going to have to finish this year with like eighteen touchdowns and damn near lead the league, right? Because short oh, of that, yeah. he's not going. He's not going to catch any passes. Like they're simply not going to throw to running backs. No, he, he is basically like seventy five percent of what Mike Davis was last year. Yeah, <laughs> and Mike Davis <laughs> ran out of steam at the end. Yes, like he yeah. was so bad at the end, and like yeah. that's that's kind of what we're gonna get. It's a very similar sort of profile and play. But he's a talented player. I love Gus Edwards, but yeah, you're just not gonna get those really big weeks unless he hits the end zone three times, which is, I just don't see it happening. Because if they're doing it that much, they're gonna pull him because there isn't that much behind him, and and they'll give Williams more work. So I don't think he's got the leash that even J.K. Dobbins would have had because of the fact there's such it's so thin behind that they're having to work out guys. Um, let's talk about another one that's been, well, I don't want to say benefited from injuries, but who has elevated up the, the depth chart and it's Darrell Henderson. So I guess it's a pretty similar conversation to what we've just had about Edwards uh, in terms of Henderson, or do you think Henderson trends up and potentially has a better, a much better season than, than Edwards? 
No, I don't feel that way. Um, I think Sony Michelle is a real problem. Um, okay. I, I think I think the Rams identified Sony Michelle as somebody they they actively wanted. They went and got him. Um, he was on a relatively small workload last year. He's pretty efficient. Um, I, I think he's a big problem for Henderson. Like the Rams like Henderson so much that they took away his job in the middle of last season, right? Um, mm. <laughs> and they'd, they'd previously identified Cam Akers as the guy that they wanted to play over Henderson. And like, even even when Henderson was was at his best and was helping us last year, he never played more than 56% of the snaps in any game. Um, so it's not like he's on the field the whole time. It's not like he was ever going to be a full workload guy necessarily. And I just think Michelle is enough of a threat. Um, of course, Michelle has to stay healthy, and that's probably not, you know, that's probably not going to happen for 17 games. But maybe if he's in a committee, right, if he's in a a, a situation where he's getting, I don't know, 45% of the handoff, something like that, maybe he can stay healthy through that situation. Um, I, I think it's a real problem for Henderson and for anybody who drafted Henderson thinking that they had locked down RB2 with somebody who was getting 18 to 20 touches a week. I, I'm super skeptical of that. No, but I actually weirdly think Michelle helps helps them out. I think he helps Henderson out, and I think that, as you mentioned, the health thing because Henderson's health isn't always been fantastic. Right. And I think I think the fact that there is a, a really capable guy behind Henderson means that I think I think it was a good thing for Henderson because I think if Henderson was going to get eighteen to twenty touches, he doesn't play seventeen games. He blows yeah. up because that's what he has done. Unfortunately, there's no question he's got talent. There's no question that he can produce but i think as you say if he sticks around that 50 55 maybe even 60 percent let's say gives a small boost and he gets 60 percent workload i think as an owner you should be fairly happy with that because he's never going to completely burn out and i that's think actually, he is someone who a, can't be a bone that's a really reasonable take and uh <laughs> you know that that is actually probably you're you're probably expressing the best case scenario for Henderson, which is, which is as you like, there's a half dozen guys in the league who are legitimately going to see like full workloads, like every, every touch they can possibly handle. Like it, it goes down to like Najee Harris and Joe Mixon. And then like, that's it. There's like, seriously, there's like a half dozen. And I, I think you're like, it's just hard to, to make it through an entire season or even most of the season on that sort of workload. And, and Henderson probably, that was probably never going to happen for him. And, and I suppose you're right. If this makes him a, a 13 touch guy and, and they're able to get 16 or 17 games out of him, that's probably better than what might have happened if they'd entered the season saying, well, we just hope he can stay healthy on 25 touches and 80% of the snaps. Yeah. And then I think as well, that makes Michelle relevant. I'm mm -hmm. not as confident that he's going to be uber relevant i think he's a flex play maybe a running back three but i think he will be relevant i think he'll have games especially games where the rams maybe get up early and they think right we're just going to give sony the ball i still think jake funk probably gets a little bit of work here i, yeah. th I think they're going to spread it out a bit yeah i i, I think yeah again similar to edwards you, this guy i think he's low i think he's bottom end of the rb2 i think he gets there if he stays healthy but again, I think if you were drafting him in the fifth round, sixth round, you're probably okay with that because your choices at that stage were you could shoot high and go sermon, and maybe you miss out on that. Maybe you don't. Who knows? That depends on how you feel about sermon. But then after that, it's Fournette, Rojo. It's all the you know, David Johnson. Like I'd have Henderson over any of those guys. So I think. If you didn't reach him, you're probably going to be quite happy with, as long as he stays fit, 
with how it's gone. And I think the Michelle trade helps. I really do. I, I will say, I, I think Daryl Henderson is where we get into that running back dead zone conversation yeah. where it's not so much, you know, it's not, we know that a bunch of running backs are going to fail and they're, they're going to fail in the first round. They're going to fail in the dead zone. They're going to fail late. Like they're going to, they're going to get hurt and they're going to fail. It's the opportunity costs. There are the receivers that you pass on when, when mm -hmm. you're taking Henderson you know, last year, you, the running back dead zone is where you could have gotten DK Metcalf and where you could have gotten Stefan Diggs. And those guys were, if not league winners, they were darn close to it. Right. Yeah, um, and Henderson's not going to be that like that, that to me, that upside just does not exist for a lot for a lot of the guys in this range. Um, I think David Montgomery was maybe like the lone hit from that from that Gross. sort of round four through seven range among the running backs last year it was a big hit. Um, but the the wide receivers were actually like among the the very best in the game. So I, you know, off the top of my head, I like Chase Claypool or Henderson. I want Claypool. I want I want a guy who I can imagine a scenario where they where they break out in in such a legendary way that they become league winners like Diggs did last year. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense and, and with you on that chasing to a guy who's probably just elevated himself out of the uh, rb dead zone but he was certainly <laughs> there at the start of the season james uh, robinson now i don't know about you i feel very confident that james robinson is going to be a high-end rb2 maybe with the upside of being an rb1 especially in this offense but how do you feel about robinson yeah, I've got him. Um, I mean, he was he was basically my favorite story last year. Yes. Um, uh, a, a wonderful player. I have no idea how he ended up at Illinois State, um, <laughs> where he was, where he was, he was. I mean, he was just a legendary. Like he was a he was an Illinois high school legend. Um, he was he was terrific at the collegiate level at a at a lower level. Um, and then and then he was just. It's so rare for somebody in a bad offense. Um, to produce week to week consistently at a high level like he did last year. It just almost, you know, we, we see it with Jaguars running backs from time to time, right? Like Maurice Jones drew used to do it. And in seasons where the Jags would average like 14 points a game, he would score a touchdown a game. It was, it was amazing. And Robinson had that kind of year. So um, a really fun story. I, I think he's, I think he's not quite a, one of those full workload guys um, only yeah. because I, you know, you, you can't convince me that Urban Meyer is going to be the first NFL head coach who doesn't give Carlos Hyde 150 touches. It just always <laughs> happens, right? And, and, and like, sometimes he's fine. Um, he was fine in Houston a couple of years ago, and, and it works. I just, there's no way that Urban Meyer is going gonna, is gonna to give all of the touches to Robinson and none of them to Hyde because it's just, we've never seen it in the NFL. Like, Andy Reid had to trade Hyde away in order to resist the temptation of giving him <laughs> 10 touches a game. It is just something that NFL coaches do. Um, so I, th I think he's going to be a little bit of an annoyance throughout the season, but um, I, I think there's a pretty clear path here for Robinson to always see at least 15 touches. And I've, I've got him both entering week, uh, both entering week one and for the full season, I've got him at, at, in the same range that you described, sort of that fringy RB1, very high end RB2. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, Robinson will have the high value, the high value touches. So, you know, I did some research on, mm -hmm. on the Jags, especially the spread offense, you know, but even last year, the reason they kept running the ball is because it was the only way they could net positive, get yards. Like, you know, when they had six or fewer um, defenders in the box, defending the run, they went for 6.3 yards per carry on RPOs. They went for 6.2 yards per play. 
back screens. They had 33, which led the NFL. They gained 8.2 yards per play. Um, they were bottom of the league or bottom five team in the league in play action. But when they did it, they were seven yards per play. Now they got Trevor Lawrence. They're going to be doing all of these things. And I think that's where Robinson, because he's already done it. Like he's all of these are going to come into play. The RPOs, the play actions, the back screens. Urban Meyer is going to love all of that. I think he's going to get all that high volume, all that high value work. Yeah, I think Hyde is going to get a lot of the the first and 10 almost like the donkey yards, like the, the donkey touches, the ones that you've yeah. got to carry and the hard yards and, um, you know, the stuff inside, maybe the stuff inside their own 20. That kind of work is the work I see Hyde getting. He's not a guy I really want on a, a fantasy roster unless I'm in a super deep league for that reason. But I think all those really high positive explosive plays, I think they're the ones Robinson cashes in on. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be one of those situations where, you know, they're going to try to hide onto the field one out of every three series and fantasy mm. Twitter is going to erupt over it. But you're just going to have to get used <laughs> to it because it's it's definitely going to happen. And but it, it it doesn't like again, there's so few guys that get full workloads that that's fine. If James Robinson yeah. is getting, you know, two thirds of the backfield touches, that's amazing. And he's going to he's going to be in for a great season. I They're one of the teams that I'm you know, it's not a it's not a particularly attractive opening week matchup, right? It's like the Jags and Texans and nobody really wants to watch that. But, but learning what the Jags are going to be this year is super fun because it's, um, you know, on the one hand, you'd think about the possibility, the possibilities of an urban Meyer offense with a bunch of really fun players. And you're like, wow, I'm, I'm ready for that. And then you look at the rest of the coaching staff and it's like, you know, there's Brian Schottenheimer's in there and Daryl Bevel's in there. And you're like, Oh man, we've, I've, I've I've seen this film before and no thank you. <laughs> and so I like I what's the blend of that of those coaches going to look like? I have no idea. I'm I'm ready for it. Well, I I kind of now I I don't I don't love Urban Meyer um, as a Florida Gator <laughs> fan. I don't love Urban Meyer at all. Um, but I have jumped on the deep end here, and I so I write a stream column for for us and. Yeah, I put the Jags defense in there. I just think that Houston is such a hot mess. Yes. And I think the fact yeah. that the Jags have, you're going to have this high of, yes, okay, the fan support in, in Jacksonville is not great. That's why they, they try and play two games in London because they do struggle to sell out. But they've never had Trevor Lawrence before. They've never had Urban Meyer. There's so much buzz in in Jacksonville right now for this team, more than at least the last decade even when they went sure. to the AFC title game. There's more buzz now than there was then. Then you've got this car crash that is Houston. It's just <laughs> like, you can't tell me that the Jaguars aren't going to get two, two turnovers in that game. I can just see it yeah. now. I can see they're going to get Tyrod on the run with that poor offensive line, with that backfield that nobody knows is anything going to happen. And then the wide receiver courts, Brandon Cooks and, who knows, Anthony Miller, Nico Collins, a couple of guys, you know, who knows? I mean, I just think it's an absolute car crash. I cannot yeah. wait. To, I'm going to I'm gonna watch that game with great intent, not just to see what Jackson will do. I'm also curious just to see how bad Houston are going to be because I can't see where they're going to win a lot of games this year. No, it's a really good point. We're probably going to be picking on, on the Texans offense all year <laughs> in terms of like defense training for sure. Hundred percent. I think that when I looked it up and they were like one point nine percent owned, I was like, "Yeah, I'll be having the Jags." Um, yeah. Let's move on to some exciting players now. Let's talk first of all about <laughs> Trey Trey Lance. Um, do we think he starts Week One? Because uh, Shanahan's been very coy here. 
Um, do we think he's got a shot to start week one? Do you think he starts week one? Do we think it's going to be soon? I, I will say I don't think this idea that we'll see both quarterbacks in the same game. Um, I don't I, that. No, it's probably not going to happen. Um, but it but I'm not totally ruling it out either. Um, it's hugely disruptive. Right. And colleges only do it because um, they don't have any good quarterbacks. Right. So we, <laughs> we rarely see a situation where a team just has two great quarterbacks that they have full faith in and they and they rotate them. Um, I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if, uh, they have either sub packages for Lance and there's, and there's situations in which he's on the field where he has a, a Taysom Hillish role. Um, or, you know, it wouldn't shock me, I suppose, if Garoppolo has a, has a really short leash. They, they just have such a, a, no, no game in the NFL is a layup and it's a road game, but it's, but it's Detroit and it is really difficult to imagine like the Niners at full strength having having big problems with the Detroit Lions. Like if they do, um, then the Niners are just not who we assume they are. Um, so th- I don't I don't think we're going to see a ton of them in week one. It'd be super exciting if we did. I, I doubt that we will, but they do have to get to him because um, it's, you know, the whole advantage of having a, a, a good quarterback that you believe in on a rookie contract, especially one that you've traded all this draft capital for. You, you know, you got to that guy's got to start pretty soon. Um, and they've already, you know, they the team has already been in a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo missed a bunch of throws in a Super Bowl. And and I, like maybe no one individual costs you a, a win, but um, a better quarterback and they win that game. I know I know that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I mean, they got to get to Lance at some point. I don't know that it happens in in week one, but it, it surely has to happen by or before October. Um, I feel the same way about Justin Fields, by the way. Like, yeah. and I, I honestly, I think that if Fields would have just uh, sat out the year last year, he might've been drafted in Lance's position, you know, because mm. nobody paid a penalty for sitting out the year. Um, and I, I think the bears have to get to fields as quickly as possible. I, I don't hate that it's not happening against the Rams. Um, but I, but I think they probably get to him very early in the season as well. And I think both of these guys, again, because of the inadequacies in, in fantasy scoring at quarterback, you know, they both have a chance to make a huge impact um, because they are, they're gifted runners. Um, and there's enough in each receiving core to, to support a pretty healthy passing game as well. Yeah. And I think the advantage with San Francisco is their buy is very early week six. <laughs> yeah. I cannot see Lance not starting week seven. So it's just, is he going to start before the buy? Is he going to start after the buy? I never really bought into the fact he was going to play week one until Shanahan has still not named the starter and we're five days away. And that makes me think, I think you're trying to take the pressure off your new quarterback by not making it a thing, by just dropping it so late in the game that people don't have the time to react. Or it's that slow burn of, well, people are expecting it now because you haven't named Garoppolo. It's got to be Lance. And it's like, when it happens, like, yeah, of course it's Lance. And it's like, everyone's kind of already prescribed a, it. I don't know. There's a there's a weird sort of risk for the Niners in that their, their early season schedule is ostensibly so um, friendly that they could race out to like a five. But what are you going to do? You're going to bench Garoppolo off a five and O start or something like that. Like that gets really hard to do. Um, and again, I just, I think they have to get to Lance as quickly as possible. Like that organizationally, they made the quarterback decision. Like when they traded all those picks for Trey Lance, the decision was made. 
Um, we know who's going to finish the season as, as the Niners quarterback. It's a disaster if, if Lance doesn't, um, unless they're undefeated, right? Like that's the only circumstance in which it's okay for Lance not to be the quarterback at the end of the season. So they got to get there somehow. I, I, you, you make a really good point that, that immediately after an early buy would be, you know, it can't go later than that. No. So let's look at the, let's look at the Saints. So we'll, we'll take both of these guys together. Jameis Winston and Marquez Callaway. Because this is something that I kind of all season, all preseason, all well, since the Super Bowl, I pretty much always said, Breeze is done, Winston's coming in, and Thomas gets hurt. And I think, well, they're not signing anyone. Not so sure they're going to put Winston out there with a bunch of no-names to go out there and and throw the football because he's not the most accurate at the best of times. And then you're going to not give him anyone who can, who's proven that they can catch the ball successfully at a high degree of success rate um, frequently. And then Marquis Callaway comes along, has probably one of the best preseasons I've ever seen of a wide yeah. receiver, where he's come from absolutely nothing. So now he's like 75% owned and everybody knows who he is. And they're talking about him as a potential wide receiver too. I, I don't know if I see that. but uh, hmm. Thoughts on, on these two and uh, what we could expect out of them for the season? Because it's obviously a long road and, and you know it doesn't look like Thomas is going to play for at least a couple of months. This is another one of those teams along with the Jaguars that I'm, I can't wait to watch. Um, mm. Right. Like there's, there's so many, there's so many variables here. There's so many things that we just don't know what it's going to look like. Um, we, the, the limiting factor for Winston, a couple limiting factors for him. Uh, one is the Thomas injury, which I, there's no chance that that's going to be like, what if we don't see Michael Thomas until December? That's definitely in play. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, like he's he's not a lock to play when first available. It's a it's a tricky injury. Um, like we're certainly not going to see him until November, and that's that's just an eternity. Like you can't even you, you might as well throw him out of your plans, right? Like I, I this is the time of year when everybody's like, oh, I'm going to stash this guy, and he's going to be a superstar when he comes back. But that's just forever. Like if you're you know if things don't go your way in the first nine weeks of the season which they may not then you know it's not going to matter that you've been that you've saved michael thomas for this for this stretch run so um I, like if we just sort of toss him out entirely i will say that callaway looks like i mean he looks like a star i i i it, it would surprise me at some level because you know there's a there's a tennessee roster that had um alvin Kamara and uh marquez callaway and like Preston Williams and um, just uh, like Dobbs, like an NFL quarterback. And they went all the way to the music city bowl. I don't like, what the hell has Tennessee been doing with all their talent um, over, the, <laughs> over the years? Um, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with Callaway, right? Like he's made sensational plays. Um, you look at the athletic profile. It's great. Um, he, he seems like somebody who has followed the sort of normal learning curve for an NFL receiver and is, and is ready to break out. And I don't see any reason why he isn't the, the, I mean, he sure looks like the overwhelming number one receiver on this team and somebody that we can expect either wide receiver two or pretty high end wide receiver three numbers for. I, I've got him ranked as a, as a pretty solid wide receiver three right now. I just don't, I haven't seen any faults um, this preseason. It's been, it's been incredible. Um, Jameis, I mean, everybody knows the, the, the scouting report on Jameis, right? He had the, one of the weirdest, great, bad seasons of all time a couple of years ago. I mean, a, a 30 touchdown, 30 pick season is, is wild. 5,000 yards is wild. Um, not that that's going to, not that that's going to happen in new Orleans, but he has had 
He's had two years now of Sean Payton coaching him, a year and a half of Sean Payton coaching him. That's good. He's He's been the understudy to Drew Brees. That's good. Um, everybody knows he's had the corrective eye surgery. That's good. Like I can make, I can build a case to be pretty excited about, about Jameis. And then the other thing is that he'll actually go downfield. Whereas as Breeze had to really pick his spots to take downfield shots when he was, you know, in in his, in his final years there. And he did it well because defenses never expected him to go downfield basically in any of the last three seasons. And so it was hugely successful when he did. And, And we, we just naturally expect Jameis to take, six seven deep shots a game so that's pretty fun and he's got a you know he's got a receiver who can make things happen and he's also the guy who gets to throw to alvin Kamara, so that's exciting too so i'm going to be surprised if Jameis playing a full year doesn't give us 4400 passing yards something like that he could sniff 30 passing touchdowns i don't like those seem like crazy numbers but i'm not sure that's enough to make him a a qb1 but it's going to make him a, a really streamable quarterback and then you're just going to be, you know, you're going to have to deal with the annoyance of, of Taysom Hill in goal-to-go situations. So that that leads me onto my point. Do you see a scenario where Taysom Hill wins this job back? Oh, it's a, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, I guess things could go horribly wrong. I mean, can I imagine a scenario where Jameis has a couple of three interception games early in the season and they, you know, and the, yeah, that's definitely in play. That is absolutely in play. Um, I, I don't root for it. Um, I, I want to see Jameis as successful, um, but that's that's certainly a possibility. If you told me that in three weeks when I write the pickups column, um, I'm leading with Taysom Hill, sure, that, that, could, that could absolutely happen. <laughs> I just, I, I've watched every game Jason, uh, you know, James Winston's ever played as a Tampa fan, and I was there in London when he threw five picks. Um, in, James Winston's biggest problem is James Winston. That's his biggest <laughs> problem is his himself. He gets into this Superman mode where he's like, I have to win the game on my own. He thinks he's Michael Jordan when he's not. Yeah. And he takes the game and he, you know, everyone talks about the fact that off that 5,000 yard season that Tom Brady came in and that's the reason they got rid of James. The reason they got rid of Jameis was because of how he finished the season. He made the same mistakes in week 17 as he did in week five. Like he didn't learn. He continued to make the same throws, the same bad reads, the same mistakes. And that's where, that's where he's going to get in trouble. And I think he had five years. His first four years were haphazard coaching at best. With Dirk Cutter, that he, he had some terrible coaching. There's no doubt in my mind that he could have landed somewhere else and probably been quite a successful player had he had stable, successful coaching. But, you know, he's had four different offensive coordinators. He's had four different head coaches. I think at some point he's only had like 18 months with each one. He's not had a long, stable career. Yeah. That's my worry. Some of it's all going to mishmash in there, as you would expect. That's my only worry with Jameis. And then I think if that happens... Callaway falls off a cliff because Taysom Hill's not going to throw the ball downfield. We've seen this right. story with Breeze. That's my only concern. But I th- I'm with you. And, I think Callaway can. can and Taysom do it, was but... Taysom was mostly terrible for Alvin Kamara too. I, I know that Kamara really? got going in like the final game with Taysom Hill at quarterback, but that was super worrisome because Kamara was on pace to to break you know McCaffrey's single season reception record by a running back, and then he just absolutely fell off uh, during the <laughs> during the Hill weeks. Yeah. 
No one wants that. No one wants Taysom Hill. End of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about quickly two more Detroit Lions and just their wide receiver core. I just put all of them in because let's be honest, this they have the argument of probably the worst wide receiver core I yeah. can remember in, in the NFL. I mean, you're talking about Tyrell Williams is arguably the one. Um, I'm on Russell Brown. The rookie is the two. They've just traded for a Denver special teams guy um, to to potentially come on and, and play. But they signed him uh, after a half decent off season where he's been on the practice squad for a couple of years. I, you know, I, they cut Rashad Perriman, which wasn't that much of a surprise, given that he only really turns up in the final four games of seasons when it's time for him to get a new contract. Um, <laughs> Let's see, watch that. I've seen wow. this movie. I watched it in Cleveland. The Tampa I fan it comes Denver. out again, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. I, I saw it in Cleveland. He had a pretty poor for 12 games. Final four games, phenomenal. Gets himself four million bucks from Tampa. Does nothing for 12 games. Turns <laughs> up for the final four. You know, it's what Bashar Perriman does. He did it at the Jets. Everywhere he goes, it's just he doesn't turn up the first you know, three quarters of the season and he turns up at the end because he needs a paycheck. He's now at the Bears, so I wish you all the best for Bashar Perriman and what he achieves. But let's get to Detroit. What do we do with Detroit and Tyra Williams and, and company? I mean, do we really expect them to roll the season with this or are they just thinking, well, we're not going to win many games anyway, so why invest the money? Let's just over to next year. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you opened as bold as you did because this—that is how I feel. I feel like this is the worst wide receiver room that I've seen in the in the time that I've been covering fantasy. Right? I, I don't. I don't remember a group of wide receivers that was worse than this. Um, I'm not. I'm not somebody who's like somebody's gonna have 600 yards right because they're like jared goff's gonna throw for at least 3600 something like that and somebody's gonna lead this team in receiving and somebody's gonna finish with 650 yards and five or six five touchdowns something like that i i wasn't a huge fan of of saint brown um like those usc receivers generally didn't do it for me the way they do it for some people um so I'm I'm not a big fan of his. Um, we we sort of know the Tyrell Williams story. Um, he might have a big game at some point. He might have two big games at some point. Um, it, it's almost certainly not going to be consistent. Uh, I think Hawkinson is a is a huge talent. I think I think he's great. And I think on a in a different team, I could imagine ranking T.J. Hawkinson as like a top three tight end. I think he pretty comfortably, as long as he stays healthy, leads this team in receiving. Um, he's he's the only member of this receiving core that that we we need to care about and like i'm in you know i'm i'm in a 16 team league where no lions receiver is rostered right now maybe somebody will make a claim for williams but it's not going to be me um there's some bad players on rosters in that league and and there's no lions receivers um so it's got to be you've got to play in, in like a 14 team league with like three wide receiver spots, three flexes, or it's got to be like an 18 or 20 team league before I'm super interested in having one of these lions receivers. Cause again, I don't think it's going to be the, maybe I'd love to be wrong. I love it when rookies mm. pop and become stars. I don't think that's going to be the case with St. Brown. And there, there's just not, it's just not a lions receiver that I can, that I want to talk people into. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel, sometimes I feel like my job as a fantasy analyst is like hype man. <laughs> But there's just nobody. There's just nobody in the Lions receiving core that I really want to talk you into. I mean, 
I write my stream column every week and wave wire column, and I try and keep it to 30% ownership or less. And so I have Tyra Williams in there as an ad because he's under 30% owned purely as a speculation. I put it in there that, look, he's a wide receiver one on his team. It probably isn't going to go well. <laughs> but I think, but I think is a, I think how often are you going to get a wide receiver one who's less than 20% owned in leagues? I just think, do you know what? If you've got a space, if you, if you've just had to dump Etienne or you've had to dump, Dobbins, and you're looking yeah. at the wave wire, you're not feeling overly infused with what's on there. I always say that there are plenty of guys. Tyson Williams should be owned. James White should be owned. You know, there's a lot of guys up there. I would I would put I, I put Russell Gage up there as someone I would own before Tyrell Williams. But you know what? If you're in a just a your wave wire is really thin, it's been decimated over the last couple of weeks, you're late to the party, you were drafting in other leagues, or you just decided you were going to turn up now and all the good waiver claims are gone. I think you could I just think why not? Just add Tyra Williams. It's probably not going to work, but he's a wide receiver one. If he ends up getting like 10 targets because there's no one else to throw to, yeah. because they decide they're just going to double cover Hawkinson and just go, do you know what? We know Hawkinson's the only guy with talent. We'll just single cover Tyrell Williams. Just if he beats us, he beats us. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I write our pickups column as well, and um, he was the last name that I wrote about, but I, but I, <laughs> it, but I, but I wrote about him because I felt for the same reasons that you're expressing, I felt I felt just compelled to say, well, I mean, this guy's clearly at the top of the hierarchy for whatever that means. And and you're right, like there are people out there who just lost Dobbins, just lost ETN, and they have a, a you know, a gaping hole in a flex spot somewhere. And I, like, I get it. I, and, and can he give us five catches reliably for somewhere between 55 and 75 yards? that's definitely in play and if that is you know if that is what you're shooting for with, with that flex spot like he, he's there for you um listen if he gets 555 and one that's wide receiver three numbers yeah yeah <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah like, i don't expect it to work the way i look at it is if you're desperate there's worse options out there um but you are having which, to scrape the Which barrel. should not be all you're aiming for heading into week one with <laughs> nobody on by and like, yeah, all these flyers out there. Yeah. But you never know. He might come out of the blocks, have a 10, a 10, 174 and two game. And, and all of us will be sat there going, oh man, we didn't see that. <laughs> if, if that happens, you should definitely add and trade him. Like, cause that yeah. is the peak of William's season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's never doing that again. Um, last player, most controversially, Deshaun Watson. Um, do you think he plays this season? Do we think he gets traded? We haven't heard from the commissioner's office and what they're going to do. What do you do with Deshaun Watson right now? I'm yeah. It's this is one of those tough things because it's uh, you hate to. I mean, at every turn, you hate to trivialize what he's what he's been accused of by giving fantasy spin on Deshaun yeah. Watson. Right? It's just a, it's just a horrible story. Um, I'm I'm surprised that I I fully believe the reporting from Charles Robinson about Miami still being all in on Deshaun Watson and wanting him and and you know being willing to put multiple firsts on the table and all that like I I get it just as a pure talent Watson is certainly worth multiple firsts um, so I don't doubt that there's still trade interest in him um, I'm I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not sure if the league feels uh, uh, limited in what they can do before there's been any legal judgment against him anywhere. 
um, it, it's going to be wild if they just make him inactive and don't dress him for <laughs> for, for the bulk of the season. I, it sure doesn't seem like there's any path to him having any fantasy relevance in Houston. Um, that that seems pretty clearly to be to be done. Uh, but but I I guess I would hold open the door for the possibility of a trade. To, if it's not Miami, they maybe maybe Houston just decides they have to move on because it is so weird not playing you know your your best quarterback, and they finally accept a lesser offer than what's been than what's been reported. Um, so is there a path for him to finish the season as the Dolphins starting quarterback or something like that, or that maybe the Eagles get back into this thing again? I have no idea. Um, I suppose that's possible until the until the league actually takes action and suspends him um, or otherwise, you know, limits his ability to get on the field. That, that's all in play. Um, I can tell you that I don't have him anywhere. Um, and, and maybe some of that was just a, a, a subconscious reaction to, to the allegations against him. And some of it is just there's such a level of uncertainty here. And there's so many great quarterback prospects that um, why, why would I? Why would I hold on to this guy as my as my flyer, as my little lottery ticket when I can, you know, I have leagues that I've gone into and said, okay, I'm going to stash Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and then I'm just going to play Sam Darnold or play matchups for the first, you know, six weeks, three weeks, whatever it is of the season. Um, I could have done that with Deshaun Watson, and I and I haven't done it. Um, it'll yeah. it'll be mildly surprising to me if he plays this year. It's such a bad look for the for the team that that starts him. And for the team that gives up actual assets to acquire him, um, I'll be I'll be a little surprised if he plays. See, I just I just think Houston will have to play him at some point. I just unless the commissioner's office comes in and takes the situation out of their hands, because when you lose to Jacksonville, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. <laughs> and then to, you're going to lose to a one-win team from last year. If that happens, and then you go and lose, and you go zero and three, and zero and four, and zero and five, you know, let's not forget they don't have a Justin Fields, a Trey Lance, uh, a Trevor Lawrence, and go. Okay, well, look, we're learning. They got Tyrod Taylor. We know what Tyrod yeah. Taylor is in the league. I'm not dissing Tyrod Taylor. He's, you know, he's a starting level, low end starting level quarterback. I can't knock him for what he has done in the league, but. He is what he is. He's like Trevor Bridge. No, no, you know, Teddy Bridgewater. They, they, they're not yeah. guys that are going to sell seats. They're not going to sell seats in the stadium. They're not going to get people watching the team. And I think, you know, if they start 0-3, 0-4, 0-5, and the commissioner's office has not stepped in or Watson hasn't even been deposed, and if he still hasn't been deposed, you have to play this innocent until proven guilty element out a little bit. I can see a path where he has to play because if not, the Texans are basically they're going to render him as, as, as such a, a a low asset. They can't sit there and say we want multiple first round picks, but yet we're going to sit him no matter what. That it's not how it works. You're going to have to put him in the window, and that means he's going to have to play. Yeah, if you want to get something for him. It's pure speculation, but you have like you have to think that the Texans are just begging the league to take some sort of disciplinary action against him, right? Because 100%. It's, yeah, it's a it it seems like an untenable situation to just have your obviously best quarterback inactive yet still el eligible to to play. Um, 
and it also seems untenable to start a guy who's facing the kind of uh, yeah. allegations that he's facing. I, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an impossible riddle. Um, I understand Houston wanting to be rid of him, um, and, and I understand them wanting to, to hold out for the the highest possible return. I, I I can't believe they haven't already taken an offer from Miami if it's out there. Um, I, I don't I don't know who else is I don't know who else is bidding. Well. Yeah, it, it's going to work itself out one way or the other, and it's going to be soon, I hope. Um, and yeah, we don't want to trivialize what he's done, but we'll see what happens with, with Watson. I think if you've owned him, I think you've taken him. I said to people, if you're drafting him, and look, I, I took him to the Scottish Bowl on the hunch that I thought he'd miss eight games minimum. Yeah. Because I just thought in that sort of tournament, I won't, I'm not trivializing what he did. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to cut him tomorrow if he's guilty and wash my hands of it, whatever. My 10th round pick doesn't matter um, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. But I think that if I, I took him with the knowledge of I'm counting him out for eight games minimum, like because I think the league do step in. I think they will give him some form. I think they just have to. I think they have to. Even if they do it by week two and it's a six-game suspension, I think that and, – and, you know, it doesn't have to be his only suspension. It can just be right based on, you know, how he's brought the league into disrepute. We're going to give you the six games, and then we'll see how we get – and that buys the league time. And I think the Texans, the league, everyone just wants a bit of time because this is going to be front and center Sunday when he sat there on the sideline, dressed or not dressed <laughs> – He's going to be there. The cameras are going to be on him. Right. No one wants that situation. Not the league, not the Texans, certainly not Deshaun Watson, his family, the victims. No one wants that. Yep. So someone's going to have to step in. So hopefully they do that. Final question for me, and I appreciate your time here massively, is do you have a spicy hot take for this season? Anything that is radical that uh, – we deemed as as out there in terms of a fantasy take for this season. Yeah, I I've talked myself into it. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, I've I've talked myself into a scenario where where the Pittsburgh Steelers just decide that they're going to feed more targets and more opportunities to one of the best athletes in the last twenty or thirty years in the NFL, and they and they really funnel the chances to Chase Claypool. I feel like he's a guy like we, it's basically just Chase Claypool and Calvin Johnson in the entire history of pro days and the combine who measure in at like six, four and two thirty plus who have that level of speed, that vertical leap um, who just have this, this incredibly rare combination of physical gifts. It's literally it's Claypool and Calvin Johnson, which is if you're going to be in a club of two and the other guy is Calvin Johnson, you're, you're pretty good. Uh, what 72 touches I think he had last year and, and like 11 of them became touchdowns. And I feel like there's one school of thought that will look at that and say, oh, well, he's in, he's due for touchdown regression. There's, there's no way that's happening again. But another way to look at that is, is the Pittsburgh Steelers could just say, okay, Ben's another year removed from elbow surgery and his arm's a little stronger and he's a little better. And wow, what would happen if we gave Chase Claypool 150 opportunities? Um, and so I, I have him every place I can get him. Um, I have I have bet him to lead the NFL in uh, in receiving touchdowns because he's at BetMGM. He's like plus eight thousand or something like that. It's a great return. 
Um, he, he just strikes me as the one guy who uh, will get to the end of the season and Claypool will have blown up and more of us will, will be thinking, wow, why, why didn't we see that coming? He kind of blew up last year. Um, why didn't we see the full eruption coming this year? Like, I think that's very much in play. So I've tried to get as much Chase Claypool as I possibly can. Amazing. Love that take. Although my Deontay Johnson shares don't love that quite <laughs> much. Um, I, but I'm with you. I, I look at – it's interesting because I look at that scenario in Pittsburgh and it's like they're pro, you're projecting Claypool, Johnson, Juju, all to be top 24, top 26 wide receivers, yet we're projecting Ben to be – Wide uh, quarterback sixteen, quarterback seventeen. I mean, both of those I've, things. I've talked about. I've talked about true. this a bit. There were there were seasons in the past where we'd we'd rank Matt Ryan as like the QB fifteen, but we had Roddy White and Julio Jones both in the top ten, and like Tony Gonzalez was like top six among tight ends. And there's just no way. Like it's really hard for those two things to happen, right? So like, <laughs> you may not think you believe in Ben Roethlisberger, but if you have ranked three Steelers wide receivers, um, <laughs> like as wide receiver twos. I, it turns out you do believe in Ben Roethlisberger. 100%. Although I do think if any one of those three is to drop out, it will be Juju. Because I think he's the guy that could yeah. be the odd one out. But we'll wait and see what happens. Annie, I really appreciate your time um, and everything you, you've given to our listeners. Tell everyone from Rush Nation where they can find you and interact with you. Um, first of all, this has been a real pleasure. It's, uh, it was great interacting with you throughout the fishbowl draft and, uh, really enjoy the opportunity to be on here. Um, they can, uh, they can obviously find me on Yahoo sports. Um, I'm just at Andy Barron's on Twitter. They can listen to the Yahoo fantasy football forecast. Um, that's our pod. Um, but again, it's super fun to do the super fun to do the show. Great to see you. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm humbled that you're here. Uh, I know our listeners have absolutely loved it. I'd love to have you back on when the season's done. And one of us will be gloating, I hope, uh, having lifted the <laughs> fishbowl trophy. I hope it's me. Um, you're going to hope it's you. But, I mean, we had a UK winner um, two years ago in Gary Haddow, although he's changed his allegiance to America now. Um, so I guess <laughs> that means that the Brit hasn't won it because he's given up his... Well, I don't think he's given up his passport, but we'll see what happens. Um, but as always, appreciate you coming on and rush nation this has been a great uh great show we've had a, a great few shows and do you know what you're not going to have to wait too long for the next one because the dynasty guys are going live in about eight minutes time so if you haven't had enough football you can just stay right on the channel they're going live in about eight minutes tomorrow we're going to be premiering the five yard game show i cannot wait for that it's a crazy concept you know i love a crazy concept so that will be there um, so tune in to that one but until later on don't forget Rush Nation keep rushing HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. 
Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.